0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com Adam. Welcome back to the Adam Schefter podcast, divisional round style. A lot of great matchups this upcoming weekend. Texans at the Ravens, 4.30 Eastern, Saturday, ABC, ESPN, followed by the Packers at 49ers at 8 p.m. on Fox. Before we get to Sunday, with the Buccaneers at the Lions at 3 p.m. on NBC, and the Chiefs at the Bills, 6.30 Eastern on CBS, which will wrap up the divisional playoff weekend. But before we get to some thoughts On those matchups, the comings and goings around the NFL, we are going to be joined today by coaches from each of the NFL's number one seeds, the 49ers and the Ravens. The 49ers assistant head coach, running backs coach, Anthony Lynn, will be with us today. Known Anthony since he was a player in Denver, playing fullback before he went on to become a head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, and now is the assistant head coach out in San Francisco. And we'll also be joined by the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, John Harbaugh, who's been in Baltimore for 16 years, hoping to win a championship much like his brother did at Michigan recently, Jim Harbaugh. And today we will have two of these outstanding coaches, of these outstanding teams, Anthony Lynn and John Harbaugh. But first, we will turn to the weekly six-pack with my friend, the host of the Fantasy Focus podcast, Daniel Dopp, for this week's six-pack.
1: What up, Adam? Topic number one for the six-pack this week. Honestly, there's so many things I could start with, but I'm not going to start with the Detroit Lions. I'm going to save it for a little bit later on the show, all right? I want to ask you about this week in coaching. Adam, there's so many things that have happened this week, so many things that have transpired. Just what's unique to you about this last week with all the things that have gone on?
0: Daniel, incredible, right? I've covered the NFL for 35 years, and usually when the season ends, they have that Monday, which people have referred to, and I don't like this term, Black Monday. Mm -hmm. And we see a series of firings That day, one day, sometimes, sometimes it extends into two days, Tuesday. But this year was such an incredibly unusual firing cycle because it started on Sunday night on the last day of the regular season when the Atlanta Falcons fired their head coach, Arthur Smith. And so the fireworks are underway that Sunday night on Monday the Washington commanders fire Ron Rivera and later Mm -hmm. appoint Bob Myers, the former golden state warriors, general manager and Rick Spielman, the former Minnesota Vikings general manager to help them in their search, to identify a new GM and a new head coach on Tuesday, the Tennessee Titans fire Mike Vrabel on Wednesday, the Seattle Seahawks fire Pete Carroll on Thursday, the new England Patriots and bill Belichick part ways on Friday. The Patriots hire Gerard Mayo and the commanders hire Adam Peters as their general manager on Saturday, wild card games on Sunday, wild card games on Monday, wild card games before we get into the new week with as we take this questions about the head coaching futures in Dallas, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh. And so as we take this midday on Tuesday, we wait to see what happens there. But usually, Daniel, you get all the action in like a 24-hour period. Oh, yeah. This extended all week long. It was almost like the NFL sent out a memo to the teams that we are not allowed to fire more than one coach per day because (laughs) we want (laughs) to hog all the headlines every day. And we want every firing to take on its own little spotlight every day so we control the news narrative every single day during the course of the week. That's what the NFL does. And they did it again. Now, I don't think I can't prove that a memo got sent to make it just (laughs) one firing per day. But I do think that the NFL controls these news cycles better than anybody. And we've never seen a coaching firing cycle be as prolonged as the one we saw this year, which now includes the most decorated coaching free agent class that we've ever seen. So, again long firing cycle, and an incredible pool of coaching candidates, which leads people to want to make changes.
1: Yeah. I mean, and it really has been incredible. Adam, you mentioned it because it's not just the teams that didn't make the playoffs, but you got three playoff teams that you mentioned in the Cowboys and the Eagles and the Steelers all potentially have some coaching conversations that they got to have heading into next year to figure out what they're going to do, which leads me to topic number two, Adam. Enter one Jim Harbaugh in his potential future in the NFL. Coming off that Michigan National Championship, is there any rumblings of where he might go or is this a all but a foregone conclusion he is coming to the NFL? Let me say this, that the Chargers are going through the process where they're
0: interviewing candidate after candidate. And Jim Harbaugh if we've learned nothing else is unpredictable enough that anything could happen. A couple of years ago, there were people in the Michigan football building who thought he would wind up as the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. And after we reported that night that he was returning to school, there were people in the office that called me and said, are you sure that you're right? And I said, I am right. He's going back to Michigan. He's not going to the NFL. And then last Mm -hmm. year there were people who thought he would be going to Denver. The Broncos had an offer on the table at one point. The two sides couldn't figure it out. He went back to Michigan again. Saying all that, saying that anything can happen, I do think that this is tracking to where the Chargers are going to make a serious attempt to hire Jim Harbaugh. That's my belief. That's my conviction. That's my instincts. I think they're going to do everything they can to get a deal done with Jim Harbaugh. And I think the timing couldn't be any better. From his standpoint, where he has won a national championship at Michigan, he's done everything he needs to do. We got the NCAA at some point coming after him. Who cares? Whatever. We've got a lot of players from a great class leaving to go to the Mm -hmm. NFL draft. We've got the money for NFL head coaches being better and greater than ever before. It's all all the elements are in place for him to leave. Now, whether he actually does or doesn't still is up to him because he does love Ann Arbor. But to me, this is trending in a way where I think he's going to wind up going to the NFL. I think the Chargers are going to make the biggest push. And if you're asking me, that is the most likely landing spot today. Though, if we've learned anything with Jim Harbaugh, things are always subject to change, Daniel.
1: That is very fair. That is very fair, Adam. I would love it if he goes to the Chargers. I think that's one of those situations where you've got that quarterback already built in right every team is looking for that signal caller the face of their franchise so for him to come in and be able to get that guy I think would be fantastic for him as a young coach
0: and you know what the would be beginning let me say this if I could tease this we have John Harbaugh the Ravens head coach coming up talking about the single biggest attribute that his brother would have if he were to go to the NFL and his comments to me were really
1: intriguing Ooh, love it. Love it. All right, let's move on. Topic number three, Adam Schefter. Talking about the quarterback position, obviously, with Justin Herbert. He has been one of the futures of the NFL for a long time, but it's not just him anymore. We got a rookie in CJ Stroud that looks incredible. Mm. You got a guy that nobody believed in at the beginning of this year in Jordan Love. Yeah, And that includes a lot of us had these trepidations going into what is Jordan Love going to look like? What is What do you feel like the future of the NFL looks like with these new quarterbacks that are coming in and showing us what they can do? Daniel, we have seen the future and
0: it is CJ Stroud and Jordan Love. Man, oh man, can those guys play. And man, oh man, do those organizations look set up for success for years to come. The Green Bay Hmm. Packers are spoiled at quarterback. They've had three and a half decades of Hall of Fame quarterback play and I'm not telling you that Jordan Love is going to the Hall of Fame, but he's looked like a Hall of Fame type quarterback over the past dozen or so games. Now, he struggled early on, but he's really rebounded and he has shown yeah. what kind of quarterback he can be. And the Packers really are making noise. And they're I think so they're gonna... young,
1: too, Adam. They're so young.
0: The youngest team, youngest team ever to win a playoff game on average. Yeah. Ever. Uh. And there are bright days ahead in Green Bay. Now, CJ Stroud, I was talking. In Bristol on Saturday, as we were watching the game, and I was sitting with Teddy Bruschi and Rex Ryan and Alex Smith, and we were talking about how many quarterbacks in the game, if we could pick anybody, we would take today ahead of C.J. Stroud. The list belongs on one hand. One hand. Wow, wow. Patrick Mahomes, you take ahead of him probably? Yep. Josh Allen, you probably take ahead of him. Yep. Maybe Joe Burrow. Maybe Jalen Hurts. Who else are we talking about here? I'm, I'm Lamar Jackson, some. maybe? Lamar Jackson. Lamar yep. Jackson. Maybe. Okay, by the way, we've got five candidates. I don't know that I'd take either Burrow or, or Herbert. Herbert. Um yeah. look, here's the deal. Here's the deal. C.J. Strat is a top five quarterback right now. Top five quarterback. We'll see who he comes in up against. Everybody can make their argument for whoever they want. Fact of the matter is the Texans last year won their final regular season game in Indianapolis. And everybody was ripping Lovey Smith and they fired Lovey Smith. And that was maybe Lovey Smith's greatest contribution to the franchise ever. That's right. Leading That's right. that team to the victory, knocking them back to number two costing the Texans the quarterback that I believe they really wanted to take Bryce Young. Carolina trades up to get Bryce Young. Bryce Young could be a good quarterback still. We like Bryce Young. But CJ Stroud looks like a man. Looks like the man. And they are set for years to come. And the future of the NFL is CJ Stroud and Jordan Love right now.
1: Unreal. Unreal. It's been so much fun to be able to watch them. By the way, Adam, nobody else cares about this, but in my dynasty fantasy football league with Matthew Berry and Phil Jates and Mike Clay, my two starting quarterbacks are Jordan Love and C.J. Stroud. Well, the future I'm feeling of fantasy football is Daniel Dopp. That's right. That's right. <laughs> feeling good about it. All right. Topic number four. Speaking of young quarterbacks, we got a bunch of really good ones coming out in this draft too, Adam. You got obviously Caleb Williams, excuse me, who was going to come out. He declared for the NFL draft. I want to know what this means for Chicago because they obviously already have Justin Fields. They're holding that number one pick. They got a big decision they got to make.
0: Well, you know, there are a lot of people that wondered whether Caleb Williams would come back or whether he could be tempted to go back to USC for all the NIL money, $15 million Mm -hmm. next year. But he made the decision officially Monday to come out. And I still believe and expect that the Chicago Bears, my guess would be that they take him at number one and then they move on from Justin Fields. Now, Justin Fields to me, is worth a first-round draft pick. You move him somewhere else, they would have the number one pick, the number eight pick, and whatever pick they get back for Justin Fields, which I think they get back a one for him. But to me, as well as he's shown, I still think that they're going to opt to build around a young quarterback. Caleb Williams comes out, and we're going to hear Field Yates talk about this a little bit, but a lot of people love, love Drake May. And a lot of people love Jaden Daniels. And I think when all is said and done, I'm not going to be surprised if the very first three picks in the NFL draft are all quarterbacks. Caleb Williams won either one of those guys at two or the other at three. It will not be a surprise to see them go in either slot. But we're looking at three quarterbacks going one, two, three in the draft right now. We're months and weeks out. I still think that's the case. But the fact that Caleb Williams officially turned pro on Monday was a huge win for the Chicago Bears, who hold the number one pick courtesy of the Carolina Panthers.
1: By the way, a Bears team that absolutely crushed it down the stretch. They played yeah, really they well too. second half of the year. They really and did. they have a
0: lot of assets and a lot of cap room, and they're yep. going to be loaded to bear. And so, well, C.J. Stroud and Jordan Love may be the future at quarterback. Well, the Bears have a real future at the other positions
1: as well. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. All right. Topic number five, Adam Schefter. Let's talk about Patrick Mahomes. In the fourth coldest game in NFL history, Patrick Mahomes leads his team to a playoff win over the Miami Dolphins. Just talk to me about the greatness that is Patrick Mahomes.
0: Well, it's unbelievable because here we are at this stage of his career. He's played 15 career playoff games, Daniel. 15. That's crazy. That's crazy. All all of them have been at home. He's never played a playoff game on the road throughout the course of his entire NFL career until this week. When the Chiefs play in Buffalo on Sunday, that will represent the first ever true road game that Patrick Mahomes has played in the postseason. Think about how good you have to be to have 15 straight playoff games played in your home venue at Arrowhead Stadium. And it's just another testament and a sign of all that he's done all he's accomplished, and it continues to go on and on.
1: It really does. That'll be a fun one, too, as well. This this weekend is going to be just a fun weekend of football, but I feel like Bill's Chiefs, Josh Allen, and Patrick Mahomes, that is always an iconic AFC matchup. Love that one. All right, let's wrap this thing one up. Topic number six, it has been the week. For anybody that is a fan of Michigan football teams, Adam Schefter, I saved it until the end. If you're a fan of the United uh, University of Michigan, you obviously got the national championship. If you're a fan of the Detroit Lions like I am, you got the first playoff victory since 1991. I was nine years old, Adam Schefter. I just got to watch this last game with my mom and my dad. Got to finally watch, after being 41 years old, my first playoff win with my parents as a fan of the Detroit Lions just amazing. That's all I want to say. Just amazing. You really did not
0: remember what it would be like for your football franchise to win a playoff game, correct? Oh,
1: no. No way. No way. And so what did it feel like to you? It was incredible. It was like everything that I've been waiting for for years. I put so much emotional energy and fandom and time and effort. And and it's like you finally get that return. And, and it feels so good. It feels so good. Let me say this, Daniel. I, we could go back and look.
0: But I think you would be hard-pressed to find another week in the history of Michigan sports that has been more joyful, celebratory, more exhilarating than this past week in the state of Michigan. On January 8th, 2024, Michigan ends its 27-year drought of winning national championships, beating Washington in a game that I was fortunate enough to be able to take both of my children to. On January 14th, Six days later, the Lions win their first playoff game to end a 32-year drought, as you documented well, since their last playoff victory in 1992. We have a 32-year drought ending, a 27-year drought ending, all six days apart. There's no way, no way that the state of Michigan ever could have enjoyed a week like that in the history of the state. Oh, no. What would it take? It would, take? it would take the Pistons and Red Wings winning Stanley Cups and NBA championships at the same time. And I don't know if there's a year where they won that because there was a long time that the bad boy Pistons were incredible. And there was a long time that the Red Wings were incredible. Was there ever a year as a Detroit ran off the top of your head that they ever won championships the same year?
1: I don't think so. It would have had to be 2004 when the Pistons won that championship against the Lakers. And I don't think that, that we had the Red Wings then, although they did put a good, a good uh, run together, but no, this week, Adam, this is it. Like this is the culmination of everything. It feels like Michigan, Michigan football fans. If you are a fan of football in the state of Michigan, you've been waiting for this week. Unless you're a fan of Spartan.
0: And by the <laughs> way, if the Pistons and Red Wings ever won championships, let's say they would have had to have done it six days apart. With right, exactly. What the Michigan football team and the Detroit Lions did six days apart in six days that the state of Michigan always will remember, and as loud. As Ford Field was last week oh. for the wild card win over the Rams, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like on Sunday against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as the Lions play for a trip to the NFC Championship game, which would be unbelievable. So the emotion in that building. There are a few buildings where the emotion stands out. I could think of the first game back in the Superdome in New Orleans after mm-hmm. Hurricane Katrina. Yep. I could think of this particular road win in Detroit. I could think of games that occurred, that generated that type of reaction. There aren't many that you think of like that, where you say, I wish I were there that night to just feel the emotion in the building, but that was one, and this is a week that the state of Michigan always will remember. All right, let's move on to our guest this week, Daniel. Our first guest is the former head coach of the Chargers, the current assistant head coach and running backs coach of the San Francisco 49ers, a man who has played a key pivotal role in that offense being as prominent and dominant as they've been, a man who I believe deserves another opportunity to become a head coach in the National Football League, a man who's made a difference in San Francisco, somebody I've known since he was a player for the Denver Broncos over 30 years ago, roughly, roughly 30 years, Anthony Lynn. Look who that
2: is. What's going on, man? Hello there, Anthony Lynn. Oh, boy. This is your podcast, huh?
0: Actually, this is your podcast today, my friend.
2: Yeah, I've heard a lot about it. You know, i just never been invited on it.
0: (laughs) All you had to do (laughs) is ask. (laughs) Right? It doesn't take much, Anthony Lynn, to get on the Uh, Adam Schefter podcast.
2: Oh, you know. How you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Just had a good practice, you know, and uh, Kyle going to give us a couple of days off and then we'll come back and go to work, man.
0: We're taping this on Friday as you head into your bye weekend. It's going to run on Tuesday next week. So just tell me about how you feel going into the divisional playoff round.
2: I'll tell you what, we're getting healthy and, uh, you know, that's why we work so hard. Uh, To get the bye week and get into playoffs, is if we we need this week to get healthy, we have it. And uh, I feel really good about our football team when we're healthy and ready to go, man. So uh, we practiced yesterday, we practiced today, and had some good practices, you know. It just looked like iron sharpening iron, and uh, it looks good.
0: First thing you say is healthy. How healthy is this team going to be going into the divisional playoff run, and what kind of difference will that make, Anthony Lynn?
2: Well, I think uh at this point in the season, we're about as healthy as we can be. You know, uh you're always gonna have some people with some bumps and bruises uh late in the year. But uh, you know, Christian has been uh uh sore and you know, Kittle and Debo and just this week has really helped those guys get their bodies back and, and, and now we're going out and we're practicing the last couple of days and guys are running around and just so we can maintain our timing, not not get rusty and things like that. But uh that's going to be a huge uh, factor, you know. When we're healthy, you know, we're dangerous, and uh, you know, of course, in those three and a half hours, you know, anybody can beat anybody in this league. But I like our chances when we're healthy.
0: Now, a couple of questions for you here. You won Super Bowl rings. You won a Super Bowl ring in San Francisco, right? One initially as a player, correct?
2: No, uh, I, was win kinda, win? I was kind of I was kind of on that roster, but I was hurt. I was actually in between going from Denver to San Fran. And because I had broken my leg, I didn't want my first impression to be was me on crutches when I got here. So I didn't come until after the '94 season. Oh, okay, because okay. Of that. yeah,
0: two rings in San, two rings in Denver, correct?
2: Yes, yes,
0: two, two rings in Denver under Mike Shanahan. What is the difference or similarity between playing for Mike Shanahan as a player and coaching with? Kyle Shanahan, his son, as a coach?
2: Well, I played for Mike Shanahan as a player, but I also coached for him, too, You know when I retired. So I've had an opportunity to coach for Mike and coach uh, uh, for Kyle. And uh, there are a lot of similarities now. There are. And uh, I tell you this, um, first and foremost, Kyle Shanahan is the best play caller I've ever been around. You know, uh, I don't remember anyone like this, since his dad, <laughs> so you know, I think that's his only rival is, is his dad. Uh, he just, um, you know, it's been really cool to see him grow up over the years. When he was a ball boy and and played in college at Texas, and now as a coach, and and just just watch him become. You know, we call this dad a genius. You know what the media did back then. We all made fun mastermind,
0: mastermind,
2: mastermind. Okay, mastermind. well. I was going to call Kyle the mastermind, but anyway, uh, you know, he, he is just, um, boy, he's so unique and, uh, creative. Uh, I've never been around a person that to scheme guys as open as Kyle, uh, has done this year. Uh, he, he's just done a remarkable job with our schemes. And, and I know if you're sitting at home and you're watching us play, you probably think the defense busted the coverage. No, no, that was something that was well thought out and schemed by our head coach. And, uh, He's just uh, – he's he's different, man. He's different. But
0: well, you said he's the best play caller that you've ever been around. So you are giving him the since, title for the record. Since, uh-huh. Okay. Since. God damn. I want his you to say dad. His dad so I can give it to Mike. Since his damn. dad.
2: <laughs> I'm not going there, brother. I won two Super Bowls. But I'm not going there.
0: <laughs> I was hoping that you would do that. Okay. That's uh, the way that kind of goes. Now, you also happen to – have been around Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, coached against them. Oh, yeah. Anything anything you learn from those guys, being that they were in the headlines this past week?
2: Man, it was uh, surprising to see uh, both of those guys, you know. But uh, uh, Pete was here when I played here with the 49ers, and he was our defensive coordinator. So I got to know Pete really well, and we were friends, and we're still friends to this day. But his energy and his excitement and passion for the game – uh, it's untouchable, you know, and he's, you know, I don't know, 72, 73 years old. And and I told him, I just saw him, you know, a few weeks ago. And I said, man, you look 60, you know, so I don't know what the hell he's drinking or eating, but uh, he's taking good care of himself. But uh, the, the thing I remember the most about Pete was training camp. My room was by Pete's room in training camp. And I'm a player and I have to go over at midnight and knock on his door and say, coach, could you please turn the music down? No, At Pete midnight. would be buying would be buying that music man, and if he wasn't if he wasn't listening to music, he was playing the guitar or something. You know, it was always something with Pete. He had just a lot of energy, but the guys played so hard for him because that passion and that energy. You know, you saw it play out on the football field, and you know, and, and to this day, when I think of turnovers, you know, as a, as a as an offensive coach, you're always thinking about ways to protect the football. You know, I can't help but, think, but to think about Pete Carroll because I would say Tony Dungy and uh, Pete Carroll are the two coaches that really sparked that, that whole, uh, uh turnover takeaway giveaway ratio. You know, that they, they started preaching that. They started practicing that. And now everyone is doing it because uh, that's, that's when that's how you win and lose in this league is turning the ball over and keeping the ball. So, uh, I, I, you know, give Pete a lot of credit for that, but, uh, Coach Belichick. Now I was in the same division with him for two years. My goodness, uh, he is. I mean, he has six Super Bowl rings. I, I don't know what you can add to that, but uh, you know his teams. They were always so prepared, and I just remember you didn't. You never knew what you were going to get because he could make the complex simple, but for the opposing team, make the make the simple seem very complex. And, and so we'd always have to make in-game adjustments, you know, with him because, you know, and I would sit there as a coach and think, how does he do this this week and this that week? But, you know, it was just what I just said. He could do that really easy with his players, and so – but I was always impressed with him and what he's done, and obviously his Super Bowl rings speak for themselves, but probably the thing I took from Coach Belichick the most was the last time I went up against him, it was not pretty. It was not pretty, uh, and my guys played hard, but they beat us uh, pretty pretty good, and I was embarrassed. And uh, I went back to my office, and I watched that game film, and I must have watched it 10 times. And uh, if there was any way they could attack our team, they did. I mean, it was so – the execution of that game was so flawless by them. We got our coach. We got our executed. I mean, everything – And uh, I was just uh, really upset after that. And I said to my coaching staff and I said to my team, we would never look like that again. And uh, we won our last four games. You know, we had four games left. We won all four. But uh, it it just reminded me that execution is really in the details. And Coach Coach Belichick teams were always very detailed.
0: I bring up Pete Carroll and I bring up Bill Belichick because they both started out in head coaching jobs. Bill in Cleveland, before he went on to become, briefly for about 10 minutes, the HC of the NYJ, resigning to take over the head coaching job of the New England Patriots, and Pete Carroll because he was a head coach in New England before he went on to become a great coach at USC and then in Seattle where he won a Super Bowl. You have been a head coach, interim head coach in Buffalo, full-time head coach.
2: Wait a minute. In Buffalo, I don't count that. Okay. (laughs) I was told on Friday (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay. A game. Yeah. yeah. You were, you were a coach for an interim coach for a couple of days in a game. Okay. 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 The head coaching job in Los Angeles with the chargers. I'm just wondering if you look at Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll and if in an indirect way, they provide any motivation. If you were able to get another chance as a head coach.
2: Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. And and, and I talked to Pete, uh, you know, every now and then, and we talk about we've talked about this. Um, you know, it took me about a year to take a to be removed from being a head coach before I could start seeing the things I could have done differently. You know, uh, one of the things I wanted to do right away was change that culture, and, and I thought we did that uh, right away when I got there. You know, we won the first year, we had to tied uh, for the best record in AOC The second year, lost to Coach Belichick in the second round of playoffs. And then, you know, we we had two losing seasons, and we kind of fell off. I did not sustain it. And I just feel like, uh, uh, number one, I feel like there was a uh, technology and a paradigm shift taking place in National Football League that I didn't uh, see. You know, uh, this analytics and uh, this information with uh, player loads and things like that uh, – I did not use that. I did not have an analytics department. I did not have a game management department in L.A. And uh, if I was a head coach today, I would demand all of those things because I think you have to have those to win. You know, those are competitive advantages. But uh, I missed the boat on that. I remember in a press conference, someone was asking me about it, and I said, well, I used my, my experience. I used my gut. And I think from that moment on, I was labeled as a throwback coach when I'm really an analytical guy. You know, I want all the information in front of me that I can to make the right decision. But I, I underestimated that grossly, and uh, and just the player loads, you know, the the work that we put on our players, that technology, that information, because we had issues there with the uh, injuries uh, all the time, and uh, but here in San Francisco, you know, I've learned by just watching our staff. There are days I want to go, man, and Cal said, no, we will we we'll holding them back, we will holding them back, you know, because the information that we get from the player loads and how to prevent injuries. And so uh, that's been really cool to experience that and see that and use that technology that way because it doesn't matter how talented your players are. You know, uh, if they're not available, uh, it doesn't matter.
0: You know, it's interesting also, I'm thinking about that, Belichick and Carroll getting their second chances. Mike Shanahan also fired as a head coach of the Los Angeles Raiders, goes on to Denver, goes to San Francisco as an offensive coordinator – under George Seifert learns the 49er way from Bill Walsh and George Seifert and goes on to all the success that he has. How valuable has it been for you to be in this organization that's been something of a gold standard recently in the National Football League where you've learned things like analytics and load management that you were previously unaware of when you were the head coach? of the Los Angeles, process. you know, it's,
2: is is huge. And it's not only uh, analytics and loads management, but it's the culture here too, you know, uh, and John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, and it starts at the top, you know, you got to start with Dr. Yark and Jed, but uh, uh, they have executed a culture here that's sustainable and it's very uh, unique. You don't see it in a lot of places, a place where uh, I feel the trust here. And, and, and not, only, not only do I feel it, I see it, because when you have trust, you can have healthy conflict. Now, we can go at it with each other. Some of the things we say to each other, my goodness, are fighting words. But uh, an hour later, we're having a beer or we're having lunch together. You know, no one takes it as an attack. We take it as an, a challenge because there is a there's a foundation here of trust. And when you have that, then you have accountability. You have commitment. And then after that, only thing left is results. And so I think that's where it starts, and that's with any organization, if you ask me. But uh, a lot of people think that just kind of happens. It's not. It's very intentional and it's deliberate. And I've watched what they've done here and how they've built it here, and it's been special to be a part of that. Mm. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind I'm a better uh, candidate to be head coach now than I was uh, seven years ago. But, uh, you know, it's, we'll see what happens. That's not up to me. Right now my primary focus is, It's helping us win the Super Bowl, man.
0: We talk about that organization being a gold standard, producing all the great people that it has year after year, pumping out head coaching candidates, general manager candidates. To me, you belong on the list. But today, as we tape this, the Washington commanders named the 49ers assistant general manager, Adam Peters, their general manager. Tell me what you've seen and learned and observed from Adam Peters and how you think he will fare as a general manager of the Commanders.
2: Adam, first of all, I just got off the practice film, okay? How do you know this sh- before I know it? I'm in the building. <laughs> I got to go tell Adam congratulations, man. You didn't even know. I did not know. That's that's great. That's great. <laughs> now, what, what was your question? I don't even remember what your question
0: was. <laughs> the, que- the question will be, what kind of general manager Adam Peters will be for the Washington Commanders?
2: Oh, he's great. He's great. You know, Adam and I had this talk last off season uh, when I was, I had an opportunity to go work with the Washington commanders. I was going to meet with Ron and uh, he had an opportunity to go somewhere. And, and we both decided we was going to stay here. And we talked about that. Our reasons why we were going to stay here, because you can't take this for granted. You don't have this everywhere in the national football league. And, uh, uh, you know, so we both have similar philosophy just from being here and similar thoughts and, And if he goes there and they give him the resources that he has, that we had here, you know, he's going to do a hell of a job. He's uh, number one. He can connect with the players. He's hell of an evaluator. But uh, people skills, you know, uh, uh, are very good. Spike Dykes told me a long time ago, Adam, you know, he said, you're going to go run off the NFL. You're going to learn a lot of football, son. He goes in. But let me tell you something. Football is a relationship business. He said, don't you ever forget that. And I can't tell you how many times I remember Spike Dykes telling me that, you know, because in everything we do, it is it is relational. You know, it doesn't matter what you know and all that. It's it's relational.
0: Well, when we get done with this podcast, you can go congratulate Adam Peters on becoming the journalist. I can't Manager,
2: wait. And Man- I can't and, wait.
0: <laughs> and, and there are two other relationships I want to ask you about before I let you go. Mm-hmm. Your relationship with the McCaffrey family being that you played oh. with Ed McCaffrey in Denver and now coach. His son Christian McCaffrey in San Francisco. Who's the better player there? I know I know you weren't ready to give it up to Kyle over Mike. What about <laughs> McCaffrey's compare there, Anthony?
2: I'm not later? gonna, I'm not, hey, I know Christian is a superstar, but I'm not gonna sell dad short either. Okay, because <laughs> I said this in my press conference. First of all, I can't believe when I retired, I even had a press conference, but uh I did. And they asked me what player did I admire the most in my eight years, and I said Ed McCaffrey. And and I and I said, and everyone kind of looked at me like you played with all these Hall of Famers, but you said Ed McCaffrey, you know, it was my rookie year with the New York Giants. Ed was there, and I, so I've been with Ed from day one, and I've seen, uh, I saw Ed grow and develop, and and the things that he did to uh, accomplish the things that he ended up accomplishing at the end was uh, was incredible to me because, you know, he was he was, he was an average. NFL player that turned into an all pro wide receiver. And he wielded himself to do that by doing all the right things, studying uh, proper nutrition and just working his tail off. And uh, I see that in Christian right now. You know, he's, he's fanatic about his cuts and, and, and every move that he make and his treatment taking care of his body. You know, he's just so professional and it just reminds me of Ed but uh, he probably got all his talent from his mama. She was one of the best There's athletes at no Stanford. So I, I got to give it up for Lisa.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Let's credit Lisa McCaffrey and not Ed for all that. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely.
0: I agree with that. And the but, other but, don't
2: sell, but don't sell Ed Short, though.
0: I would never sell Ed Short. Ed was yeah. unbelievable. Ed unbelievable. was unbelievable. He was tremendous. And the other relationship I want to ask you about is the relationship you have with somebody who's regarded as a future head coach – in the National Football League, somebody who is highly regarded in NFL circles but is now in the college world, somebody that is one of the great, bright, young minds of the game, and that would be your son, the defensive coordinator at USC, <laughs> Danton Lynn. What do well, we think of his future <laughs> prospects, whether he's in the college game or the National Football
2: League? Well, you just you just threw, threw me under the bus and just pushed him up to the top. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's been cool to, to see uh, the success that he's had on the field and off the field because he's a hard worker, you know. He started as an intern in the scouting department, and, uh, and uh, he worked his tail off. And I was uh, I was so happy for him back then. And now to see that it's, it's paying off, uh, it's been pretty cool to watch, you know. But he's a sharp kid, you know. He'll, he'll make his own way, but uh, – I told him the other day, I said, you're now really in the coaching family because his son uh, will be one, January 16th. Your okay? grandson. My grandson, uh, Anthony the III. And that boy has been a Raven, a Bruin, and a Trojan in one year, Adam. One year. <laughs> I said, welcome to the coaching family, son.
0: <laughs> now, I will say, as much as people think of uh-huh. Danton and his future, I still think that Anthony Lynn should be a head coach again before Danton. Lynn I,
2: I be appreciate that. I appreciate that very much.
0: Hey, <laughs> I want to thank you for the time today. I wish you luck in the divisional playoff round. I appreciate you now and always, and we'll wish you the very best. Go congratulate Adam Peters.
2: I'm on my way. Thank you, buddy. Bye-bye. There is the
0: 49ers assistant head coach, running backs coach, Anthony Lynn. And it's hard to listen to him and wonder why he hasn't gotten a head coaching interview yet during this cycle to me there are teams missing out he's worthy of that interview and you can see the way that he has approached this grown from this learned from this and been around that program now out in San Francisco that to me make him a valuable candidate
3: two guys drove to work neither guy wore a seatbelt one guy got a ticket one guy didn't the same two guys drove home one guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had,
1: From Anthony Lynn,
0: we move on to the head coach of the number one ranked AFC team, Baltimore Ravens, Jim Harbaugh's brother, John Harbaugh.
4: Hey, how you doing, Adam? Christina? Hello, John. Nice to see you. Good seeing you. How's everything going? Congratulations on your season. Oh yeah, it's it's uh, it's on, ongoing, ongoing. Everything going well. It, it really
0: was a great season for you guys.
4: Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. I just uh, kind of talking to some guys in the weight room this morning. But when you look back at East, we we run the like what we're doing this week. We run the opponents' games during the week, like on on their TV copy. It runs in the weight room on a big screen, so the guys they kind of watch it. Well, this week we're running our games. So the Seattle game was up there, and we're like, oh, hey, you're kind of watching it." And oh yeah, okay, when was that? You know, that was after. And well, what was the week after the Titans game? No, no, that was the Lions after the Titans game. Then it was the Seahawks, then it was the Cardinals, and then you think, man, the Lions, yeah, okay, that, that was coming back from, we lost to Pittsburgh, we had to go to ten, out to London, Tennessee, that was massive, you know, challenge, you know, we were, it was, it was, we were just facing so many, you know, we, we were terrible, we we lost to the Steelers, we dropped 10 passes, you know, we were kind of a coming to truth, and then we got to fly all the way back, we got to play the great Detroit Lions, and we had no chance in that game. And then you know Seattle was coming out here as a number you know number one in their division. All every week had its own like unique. Every every team we played was on and the top you know riding high or they you know they uh, they had everything to play for or they were fighting for their lives or whatever it might be. And our guys rose every one of those occasions. So we kind of got forged and, and guys were you know the team responded all year, which was good. You know it was it was kind of that kind of a season.
0: Well, and now you have another challenge, and we're taping this before you know your opponent. So we'll see who it is. But whoever it's going to be, we know it's going to be another challenge of some sort, right? No matter right. who it is. But I want to go back to the events of this past week because we see Pete Carroll no longer as the head coach in Seattle. We see right. Bill Belichick no longer as the head coach in New England. And we see, as we tape this, the two longest tenured head coaches. In the National Football League with their respective teams are now Mike Tomlin at 17 years in Pittsburgh and John Harbaugh at 16 years in Baltimore. When I say that to you, what goes through your mind, John?
4: Well, I, I see pictures of 10, 12, 15 years ago, and I, what goes through my mind is, wow, man, look how much we age in 10 years. And mike, Mike's mike got to admit the same thing. He didn't look the same as he did 10 years ago. Either, so uh, that's that's a crazy deal, man. It's uh but you know it's we just played him. I have so much respect for Mike Tomlin for the way he coaches, the way he runs his team, the the leader that he is. And you have to. We played him so many times in so many tough battles. Uh, you know, kind of from an opponent's perspective, that respect is earned. So good, good person, good family man, great coach. But uh, yeah, it's kind of mind-boggling, no doubt. You,
0: you talk about how challenging this job is and how much it ages you. And I always remember. When I was out in Denver starting my reporting career back in 1990, I remember Dan Reeves getting fired, and I keep coming back to this particular incident, and I remember seeing the pictures of Dan when he was hired, and the pictures of Dan when he was fired 13, 14 years later, and I could not believe the difference in how much the job ages you. I don't know if there's another job outside being the president of the United States that ages a man as much as being a head coach in the National Football League. So congratulations to you on 16 years. Do you agree with that assessment and the stresses that
4: come along with the job? I'm not sure how to respond to that. Should I say thanks? Uh, I'm not (laughs) sure exactly what... what, what, But you look good, John. You still look good. Oh, yeah, sure. I saw someone sent me a picture from um, my first year in Philly. Jim was actually playing for the Ravens. It was the first preseason game we played him as my first year as a special teams coach, 1998. And uh, honestly... Jim looks great, but he's in his helmet and everything. The security guard, butchie, little butchie uh, for Phillies in there. And then I'm in there, and, and like the guy said, you look like you're 18 years old, and I was 35. You know, it's like, man, comparatively, it does. It's like I, it was, it was, it blew my mind a little bit. It made me, you know, you realize, like as Bob Seeger said, turn the page, man. The pages turn really fast, and they just they, you as you get older, they just race through them. I tell the guys that every single day, man. Let's make the most of every single day. Understand that yesterday is a memory. Tomorrow is a hope. Today is our reality. Today is where you live. Every you got to live every minute today. I think our guys really have embraced that, Adam. Really, they have. We had a great practice. You know, last week we practiced without a game, and our guys did a great job with that every single practice, and now we're getting ready for our challenge. What has most impressed you about this team, John? Just that. This team is about being locked in uh being uh locked into the moment every single week this year we've had challenges every week it, our schedule's been tough every team we have played has been either on, on a roll or they've been fighting for their lives and had everything to play for we never had a situation where that wasn't the case and our guys rose to the occasion so many times in the face of that and i think it forges you makes you tough because they kept it simple they kept it about the task at hand they really are a family we have really do have a football family here they care about one another they celebrate each other's successes. They want to be a part of each other's successes. Uh they're there for each other's failures. Uh they just they're fun to be around and they lock in on football. Lamar drives that, Roquan draws that Roquan uh, uh drives that, Marlin drives it, our leaders drive it, you know, and it's a player-driven team that way. And when you have that as a coach, you know, you might say it over time. It's like your kids. All of a sudden your kids start saying it the way you say it, and you go, Oh, I think. Man, I think maybe they were listening. Maybe they were paying attention. <laughs> but it's really their thing. It's got to be the, the players are the ones that win games. They're the ones that play. They're the ones that have to make the plays. It's a, it, you stand on the sideline, Adam, you know this. You watch the game, and you stand there, and you just can't believe how fast they are, how big they are, how hard they play, oh. how talented they are. It's It just blows your mind. And uh, to see our guys, that's what I love. I love the way they play the game.
0: It. it do you see any similarities with this team – and the one that won the Super Bowl for you?
4: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of similarities in terms of the principles of it. They they do. They get that. Great leadership on that past team. You know who those guys were. Great leadership on this team. Attention to detail, work ethic. But it's a lot different of a team, too. I mean, that team was more on a roller coaster throughout the course of the season. Started mm-hmm. off hot, had some some real some down moments, and was able to kind of fight through that and pull themselves back up and, uh, and and get hot at the end and play great. But this team, I'd say, has been more steady. This team has been more on a, a steady rise, building every single week, improving every single week. No drag, nothing pulling us back. Everybody's attitude's been great. Everybody's been on point. I've never been on a team that's been this drag-free ever uh, as a coach.
0: Wow, that's interesting. Drag-free.
4: You like that, huh? I do like that. What do you mean by that? Well, momentum. I mean, the ability to to chart as much as you can a straight path. Understand that we're going to go – as fast as we can, as far as we can, together. Not turning to the right, distractions, signposts. Not we're not sightseeing. No looking right, no looking left. Straight ahead. You know, eyes on the road. Going as fast as we can, together as, as 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 together as we can, without having things that are slowing us down. You know, we don't need we don't need wheels falling off. We don't need uh, you know doors popping open or windows coming down. We're just going. I Think that team has done that the best of any team I've been around.
0: But you've had some injuries, some wheels that are dented and whatnot throughout yeah. the course of this season, and the and the and the car just keeps going on. Let me ask you this: back in 2019, the Ravens were the number one seed. You had a bye. You lost in the divisional round right away. Is there anything that you take out of that experience that you apply to this season, John?
4: I think the memory of it for sure. I mean, there's going to be the the, the things that you don't want the self-imposed drag. You know, the thing that the obstacles that come in your way, the things that you got to battle and overcome, all the, all the all the obstacles in your way to the next horizon. Uh, things that are are expected or the things that surprise you are the things that you try to deal with. So um, that thing in 2019 is one of those things that hopefully makes us better. There's not that many guys on the team, but there's enough guys to talk about it, kind of realize that I think it's in the back of our mind, but this team's a separate entity. It's a different team. The guys that are here, like Lamar is an example. Uh, he's the same person, uh, but he's, he, he knows more than, he you know, if I, if I knew then what I know now, well, he knows that now, you know, and he's ready to go.
0: You bring up Lamar and we, think back to last offseason all the teams that could have and didn't make runs at him he comes back he's probably the favorite to win the mvp when you think back to what's transpired with him over the last year and where you are now what stands out to you john
4: well that's it i mean just the story the the uh the incredible journey that he's been on and we've all been on together not knowing where it was going to go or how it was going to end up but keeping focused on the idea that uh God has a plan. He's a very, he's a person of faith. Uh, we all kind of leaned on that throughout this whole process and just understood that, you know, there was going to be an outcome and it was going to be something that was going to be uh, a good outcome. There's going to be something that was going to be a planned outcome if you all kind of approach it from that perspective. And man, you know, who knew it was going to end up like this? We didn't know that. We didn't know. I didn't know if he's going to be here or not. There was you no didn't way. No. Why sure. do you say
2: that? You didn't oh, know, I- right?
4: Yeah, you don't control that. I mean, that's nothing you can't control. It was going to be decisions were going to be made, or circumstances were going to happen, and and it's all choices and all that kind of stuff. And it just worked. We all, but we all, we all knew that we. I knew that. I knew that Eric and Steve wanted Lamar. I knew that Lamar. I believe I, in my heart, Lamar wanted to be here. There was negotiating, and there was things that were made, but we didn't get dragged down by that kind of stuff to let, let you know what like the crabs in the bucket. We're not getting dragged down by what people say, what people think, or opinions, or any of that other kind of stuff. Let's just, man, let's just see where this thing goes. And let's see what plan God has for all of us through all this. And uh, and then, you know, it turned out the way it did.
0: But we made a big deal in the media, and I still think it's a big deal, that there wasn't another team that made a real attempt to go after him, make it difficult for you guys, come up with a creative offer sheet, right. go compensate Lamar, and make it such that the Ravens are going to have a tough time. Nobody did that. It's amazing right. to me. Right.
4: Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I'm happy they didn't. You know, I mean, Lamar's always been my guy. You know, and our guy. We we believed in him from the beginning. We're, we're the one team that believed him in the draft. I believe we believed him. We built our offense around him. We built our whole team around him. We said we are going to go in a direction that nobody's ever gone before, football wise. We, yeah. we called it a revolution. We said it was going to be a revolution, football wise, and it has been. People are running offenses now and plays now that they had they hadn't run before that. They hadn't even thought about running before that. They see things differently. I mean people see football differently adam than they did in terms of you know my my perception my my perception of what a quarterback plays like acts like looks like whatever it might be this is what i think a quarterback is defined now lamar has moved it okay this opens up my thinking i can see i can see there's more opportunity here i got a better vision for what can be and to me if they see that in football with a quarterback, sports being a forerunner maybe to societal, societal, and cultural change, they can say, "Well, you know what? Maybe this is true of other positions, other jobs, other opportunities. Maybe I should open up my thinking. Maybe there's a talent pool out there, a style that I never thought about before, and I should consider this as I as I look for talent and opportunities to give people a chance to accomplish things." So there's a big, there's kind of a broader deal here. Um, I'm I'm kind of happy that we're doing it, but right now our focus, man, it's on the football every single day.
0: Okay, but if you continue winning, do you think that Lamar expanding those boundaries and creating new opportunities, that the idea that will grow the more you win this postseason?
4: Yeah, absolutely I do. I think it it already should be there. People should already see it. But the more success that that we have, if we're able to accomplish that, uh, the more clear it's going to be. Let's
0: talk about the success of the University of Michigan and your brother Jim. You were there Monday night in Houston. I'm just curious to know what your takeaway memories will be of that night.
4: Well, you know, the takeaway memory, one one takeaway memory is seeing him standing over there, kind of hands on his knees, looking down at the ground. You know, I know exactly how he's feeling, what he's thinking. Tense moment, you know, just, just saying, I'm going for it. You know, so I ran over there and gave him a hug and kind of looked at me like, who is this dude? You know, and, and it was like, oh, John, hey, hey, how you doing, man? And I don't even remember what we said exactly, but it was just uh, it was just it was one of those feelings, you know. Then the other feeling was. Well, the tension throughout the course of the game as a fan, it's way worse than when you're in the middle of it because you have no control over it. You know, it's like biting your fingernails and plays get made and crowd goes crazy. But the the other thing is at the end, you know, hugging my dad and mom, my wife, uh, and that sense of accomplishment and everybody's in tears. And then going down on the field and when the confetti came down and thinking, man, you know. Wouldn't that be something if we could get this done too for our team? Our team experiences.
0: So you were thinking that at the end.
4: Oh yeah, oh yeah. You can't help it. You know, it's you know, their guys are running around celebrating, coming over and even hugging us. You know, and and uh, and then saying, you know, I, I want this for my team too.
0: And if you could get that for your team, that would make it. I know it's the year of the Ravens, but the year of the Harbaugh, and it would be an unforgettable chapter in what has been an incredible run for the Harbaugh family in football. That would be the ultimate, would it not, if you could get one at the same time that Jim got one? Wow.
4: Well, you know, to me, the, the uh, from a faith perspective, I, I believe that God has plans for us that are beyond our imagination. Nothing the eyes see and the ears heard, nothing we could ever dream of. You know, we have hopes for ourselves, but God's plans for us are way beyond anything that we could even fathom for ourselves. And something like that, whether it happens or not in the end, something like that is something that only God can do in the end. And it's that's why you got to just keep your faith. Try to do the right thing. Try to treat people the right way. Work as hard as you can, and let and let the outcomes become the outcomes in terms of you know what those plans are going to be and see what happens. And I think at the end, you're never disappointed by that. If something like that could happen, it would be incredibly and amazing, and it'd be beyond imagination of something we dreamed up two years ago or ten years ago or, or when we were little kids in our room. You know, we never would have thought of something like that. But whatever it is, man, whatever's in store, I'm looking forward to it. I'm hopeful. I'm excited. Can't wait to see what happens.
0: And what kind of coach do you think? What would Jim bring to the NFL if he decides to make that decision to make the jump at this point in time? What kind of coach would a team be getting? Tell well, us. I mean,
4: you know, it's the same coach that he's, he's always been. You know, it's the same person he's always been since he was a kid. You know, he's a he's a he's a high character, uh, uh, high energy uh believer. You know, he's a true believer in the things that that go into building a team. He's one of the best team builders. He may be the best team builder in football right now. Nobody builds a team better. I mean, he he knows how to put it together, top to bottom. He knows how to include people. He knows how to make them a part of it. He knows how to empower people. Uh, he's a great football coach. He believes in football. You know, He believes in playing football the right way, the fundamental way. And you've seen it, Adam, with every team he's ever coached. You know, he was that kind of a player. Then he goes to San Diego, and he's that kind of a coach. Then he goes to Stanford. Then he goes to San Francisco. Now Michigan, you know. That's 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 proof right there.
0: It's not accidental that he keeps building these
4: teams up the way that they are, right? Absolutely not. I mean, you can't fake that. You can't fake it. And that's one thing about Jim. He's true. He's real. He's 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 definitely uh, true to himself. He's honest about everything. He's 100 percent honest about everything. And people see that, you know, that's how you build trust. I mean, you look at a team he's got. That's a team that's built on trust. They trust one another and they love one another. You can't fake your way to that. That has to be genuine. And that's who he is.
0: And should you get to the Super Bowl, you're going to be able to get him a sideline pass to maybe one day where he could come over at the end of the game and you have a fourth down and you're kneeling over, leaning over, where he could come up and sneak up and give you a hug there as you're contemplating a big decision there, John?
4: Dream come true, man. That would be a (laughs) dream come true.
0: Hey, I want to thank you very much for taking some time today. I truly appreciate it. The Harbaugh's are a credit to football and I appreciate the relationship that I've had with both Harbaugh brothers for as long as I've had.
4: Thank you, Adam. And we feel the same way about you. Appreciate thank it.
0: You, thank you, John. Hey, by the way, there Monday night, brought my brought my, uh, brought my my daughter and son. And to watch them, I was there in 89 when they won the national championship in basketball. Oh, wow. And I was there on Monday night. And to watch my son and daughter carry on was unbelievable. And I sent a text to J.J. McCarthy telling him, like, you understand, this is going to bring you – this is going to unite you with these guys forever. This is always a part of you. You're going to go back and remember this night and this season for years to – and he's like I never thought about it like that. I'm like, oh yeah, this is forever, man.
4: That is really true. I mean, that's something you guys will, you you that's one thing about sports and something like that that it bonds people together, ties people together. You know, it's something to to just connect people, right? It's I mean, it's got to be. It's around, it's popular. People love it for some reason. What is it? It's got to be something more than just a game, you know. And man, for you to have that with your kids, wow.
0: Well, you you did. I mean, you you brought your wife, right? And you had your mom and dad. I was I was actually walking into the bathroom at the start of the game, and there was your dad and Tom Crean walking out. I gave them hugs, wished them luck. through really? the bathroom—that's <laughs> <Yeah>. crazy. I <laughs> yeah. love
4: it. And yeah. you do it like the people the people around you. You're high fiving them, you're hugging them. You know, it's, it's really cool. Oh, it
0: was it was it was it, the whole thing. It was and the weekend in Seattle in '89 for the basketball champ was was the greatest weekend of my life, and. And, and you know, to give this to my kids, to share this with them. My son graduated from Michigan. My daughter's in ninth grade. She'd like to go to Michigan, but I couldn't believe how into it she was. It was you know, it was, it was just awesome. Anyway, thank you again. Thank you again, John. I appreciate you.
4: Thank you, man. Always. Good luck
0: with everything. And thank hope you. to see. Hope to see you in Las Vegas. And last thing, my daughter's doing the sidelines for Nickelodeon in the game. So maybe she'll be assigned to the Ravens. In that She's the first Shefter to ever work an actual Super Bowl game.
4: Well, if she wants it, she's got an interview with me. Tell her that. That'd be incredible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John. I appreciate you, my I'll friend. You, Good man. luck next week. There is the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, John Harbaugh. And that reminds me of a couple of stories here, Daniel. Uh-oh. Number one, I didn't get to share this in the podcast last week, and I should have while we were in Houston at NRG Stadium with my son and daughter to watch Michigan play Washington. We were on the field before the game, and this gentleman came over to me. And he said, my name is Tony Garcia. I cover Michigan football for the Detroit Free Press. I said, nice to meet you, Tony. He said, I don't think you'll remember this, but 10 years ago, I was rather obnoxious to you on Twitter, on draft night, after a few of the Lions picks. And I don't know whether I had tipped the pick or made a comment that he didn't like. I don't remember, but he did. Because I blocked him. I blocked him on Twitter. And Daniel, my rule on Twitter is I only block people when they are offensive or out of line. You can say what you want. People are allowed to criticize. When it gets offensive, when it gets profane, when it gets over the top, blocked. Like I don't want that person in my life spewing unnecessary negativity. And so I would imagine back in the day, 10 years ago, Tony Garcia said something, which he said he did. That was not nice. Yep. I blocked him. And he said, for 10 years, I've been denied NFL news from you. Would you please do me the favor of unblocking me? And we opened up my phone. I said, call yourself up on Twitter or X. He found his account. And I allowed him to unblock himself That's from so- my account. And he was grateful. <laughs> and so ever since that national championship night, Tony Garcia has been getting NFL news. News updates. That's one of the fun things about this past week. The (laughs) other one that I want to share with you that I thought was worth pointing out is when we are in these news cycles like this, where you know things are happening, Mm -hmm. I have a fear, a fear of taking a shower and missing something. So last Tuesday, when I got back from the national championship game, after I had unblocked Tony Garcia on X, I was scared to get in the shower. Because I was worried that Bill Belichick and the Patriots might part ways that day. I was worried what might else happen. And that was the day, of course, that the Titans fired Mike Vrabel, which I hadn't showered. And yep. so later in the afternoon on Tuesday, I reached out to a couple of people and a couple of stories I was waiting on. I'm like, are we expecting anything now? Like, is the coast clear? Can I please go shower? Can I take and a shower? Like, Can I take a shower? <laughs> and they said, yes. Yes. And so when I do go in the shower, I take my phone and there, the bathtub is like right in front of it and there's a bath handle. So I put my phone up against the bath handle sure. so I could see if any texts come in that I need to see while I'm in the shower. My wife is like, just take the phone into the shower with you. And that way you see, I'm not taking the phone into the shower with me, but I thought it was worth pointing out some of the sacrifices that you have to make in this job. And that includes sometimes bypassing a shower for hours on end while you await NFL news because you're scared that it's going to happen while you're in the shower. I've had that happen now a half dozen times where something's come in while I've been in the shower and I walk out and it's been sitting in my phone for nine minutes and it may or may not already be out there in the social media space. So, nine minutes
1: is an eternity to you,
0: right? So you got to wait to shower these days. You got to take quick showers. You can't shower the way you want. So to me, that was as interesting and as odd and as worthy of mentioning as unblocking Tony Garcia from the Detroit Free Press. These are the perils of covering the National Football League for a living.
1: That's amazing. Oh my gosh, Adam, I can't even imagine. Honestly, like, th- have you showered like now? Have you finally no, showered today. since then? No, no, not we're today. waiting on yeah. Philadelphia
0: yeah. Dallas and Pittsburgh. <laughs> it may be a few days here before I get to shower, Daniel. Another I don't know days. when i get to shower again. <laughs> not great for my marriage. You know, my wife wants to keep keep clear of me, but that's the way yeah. it goes sometimes. This is the price you have to pay. Anyway, we want to thank the assistant head coach of the 49ers, the great Anthony Lynn. We want to thank the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, the great John Harbaugh. We want to thank Daniel Dopp for co-hosting and leading this six-pack conversation through another podcast. Also want to thank my great producers, Christina Buswell, Sarah Abbott, and Sean Bartley for putting together this podcast, as well as you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we will wrap up the divisional playoff round and look ahead at the conference championship games and which two teams Might advance to the Super Bowl in Las Vegas Until then, have a great week everybody Enjoy the games, be well, and stay safe
3: Two guys drove to work Neither guy wore a seatbelt One guy got a ticket One guy didn't The same two guys drove home One guy wore a seatbelt One guy didn't One guy made it home the guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by Nitza.